small theatrical acts. On Saturday, January 13th at 6 p.m., it's Amando Espinosa. Amando Espinosa is a prominent face in the Kansas City music scene. He is a unique performing artist, composer, and instrument maker from Cochabamba, Bolivia. He respects the folk traditions of the Andes Mountains while creating compositions that are sincere to his musical wanderlust personality. This all happens at Lenexa City Hall, 17101 West 87th Street, Parkway, in Lenexa. For more information on these and many other events in our area, go to kkfi.org slash arts kc go. Hey everybody, this is Kelly Hunt and you're listening to 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. All aboard! Support for KKFI comes from the Johnson County Museum, featuring special exhibit, trains, transportation, and the transformation of Johnson County, now through January 13th. This exhibit showcases the impact of railroads on the county's landscape, people, and economy. Through interactive displays, artifacts, and visuals, visitors are transported back in time to witness the changes that rail transportation brought to Johnson County. For more information, visit jocomuseum.org. The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers.
And welcome to another edition of the KKFI Arts Magazine show. I'm Michael Hogue, your host. Glad to have you here on this Monday here in Kansas City as you listen to the Arts Magazine show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I have a very good show planned for you today. A lot went into the planning here, but I think it'll be worth it for you today. We're going to be talking with, well, right across from me, sitting right across from me right now is Jerry Harrington. He is the owner of the Tivoli Theater. They recently, well, it has, it's been several years probably, Jerry, since you moved out of Manor Square and uh, hooked yeah, pre-COVID. up. pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. It's all, oh, so it's been at least three, maybe more. Four years. Four years. So. Yeah. But you you got yourself a place at the Nelson Gallery of Art, where uh, they have a movie theater over there. Yes, the they la- do. I, I, it's a beautiful <laughs> one too. I told the uh, uh, my other guests here on the phone that the, the last thing I think I saw over there was uh, Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy in a movie. Oh my God! I didn't show that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but Jerry is showing. Make Me Famous, a documentary film about the art scene in New York in the 1980s. It's directed by a a Kansas City-raised local, Brian Vincent. He is directing, and his wife, Heather Spohr, is producing. They both have quite a background here. If I may, for a few minutes, uh, Brian hit it big in Black Dog with Patrick Swayze and Randy Travis and Meatloaf. In that movie, if you remember that, was also uh, in other things. Blue Moon, I remember him from. He uh, worked with Rita Moreno in that. Can't beat that. (laughs) Can't Mm -hmm. beat an Academy Award winner there for that. And other films as well that we can touch on. His wife, Heather, spent 13 years on the Broadway stage in New York in the musical Wicked. Also spent a few years uh, in uh, four years in the Fantastics, and did some also did some uh, some movie and television roles along the way. Welcome both of you. How are things in New York these days? I bet they're busy for you. Yeah, <laughs> New York is uh, never stops in busy town, but especially for the, our movie lately, it's been playing in New York now for seven months and counting. So we're real thrilled about that you it's been it seems like it's been a couple of years that uh you've been having openings in various places uh does it catch on one place and then you get offered at another place is that how that works well the trajectory of a film is is oftentimes you start in film festivals and um you do several film festivals you can do a whole year maybe two and then you come out in theaters domestically or Sometimes you don't, and you go straight on to streaming. But we have been so lucky to be in theaters now. Well, we're coming on a full year in theaters. We opened in Toronto, and then we uh, played for three weeks in London at the Bertha Dock House. And then we opened at the Museum of the City of New York. And um, we started our, our run officially in New York City June 22nd. How, Jerry, did you come within the radar of this motion picture? Did it have anything to do with Brian being from this area? No, I didn't know that when I inquired about this film. Um, I belong to a Google group called Art House Convergence, which is filled with people I've known most of my life but never seen or rarely seen. And... uh, this Heather was on the the group and this movie 
since I'm in an art museum and I care about art, um, I immediately said, oh, this might work. I'll need to watch it, but, you know, this might work. It was the burgeoning art scene in New York in the 1980s. Did that, right. that appeal to you for a, a documentary oh, sure, you would want to sure. see? sure, sure. I mean, it was the last... For me, it was the last interesting period of art in in New York City. I mean, the the scene that was one of the last, if not the last one. Sure. So, and I I knew a number of people that were adjacent to that scene. I see. And um, I you know so I I cared about it. Sure. So. Sure. Well, you know that's. I'm sure Brian and Heather know a lot about this, of course, of Brian directing and Heather producing the show and uh, and the art scene. And uh, later on, we, we might get a chance to talk with a lady who was part of that later on. Right. And that'll be uh, exciting for me, too. I want to learn all about it. And the show will be uh, presented at uh, the, the theater at the Nelson Atkins the Museum. Tivoli at the Nelson Atkins. That's what you call it. Okay. The right. Tivoli at the Nelson Atkins. And the dates will be Friday, January the 12th, 7 o'clock p.m. on that night. And Sunday afternoon, January 14th at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Tivoli at the Nelson Museum of Art. Do right. they, how? The Nelson Atkins. We can never forget Mary Atkins. Oh, <laughs> okay. I guess she's a big part of it. Well, uh, as yeah, well. she was. She a lot of, not a lot, but her her money helped bring the museum about. Sure. So. Sure. Well, either you or Heather, tell the folks how they can uh, make arrangements uh, to see uh, "Make Me Famous," the story of uh, Edward Brzezinski. Well, yes, you can go right online to the nelsonatkins.org. That's nelson-atkins.org forward slash Tivoli. And you can reserve your seats right there. Or or you can probably just come the night of and grab a seat. You can. Well, we'd sure love to see you there because uh, Heather and I will both be there for the Q&A afterwards. And to say hi to everybody. Sure. Yeah. How many seats I'll do you have too. over there, Jerry? 500. That's a lot. So we're hoping yeah, to fill yeah. them all. I, mm-hmm. You have it. There's a chance that that might happen. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I think so. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to discuss Brzezinski? Let, let's talk a little bit about it. Of all the people, neither Brian or Heather, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, were in New York in the 1980s. That was... Uh, uh, that was before Brian, and I'm sure before Heather as well. How did Edward Brzezinski come into your radar? Well, I I got to reading a lot about the 1980s art scene because it reminded me of what it was like <clears throat> when I was at Juilliard as an acting student. Uh, Juilliard was a place where everyone was just creating all together all the time, um, musicians and, uh, you know, actors and dancers. And I just love that. And I, I was reading about this art scene um, that was no longer in existence anymore. I'm in New York City. Uh, by the time I got there in the 90s, um, this 1980s art scene was long dead. Um, but in the 80s, in the early 
late 70s, New York was broke. And the young people that were arriving uh, in New York, they they came to a broken city, basically. And, and, and it seemed kind of hopeless there in some ways, but it was very cheap rent. And the young people that uh, moved to New York at that time, a lot of them had studied art very seriously, and they brought their skills uh, in, into um, making something really interesting and performing for each other. And they sort of um, weren't going to get noticed by any of the big galleries because there really wasn't any money in art at the time. And so it was all about being as creative as you can. And I, as Jerry was saying, you know, that, that spawned, I, I agree, uh, the, what seems to be the most exciting art period uh, in New York since, um, uh, you know, our generation since the 50s at least but anyway it, it also got the attention of the whole world um and i think it had to do with um just that the, the the most creative people were the ones that were celebrated the most um now edward brzezinski um i just happened to um run across uh, uh some paintings of his um and i didn't know anything about him um but i had i had met uh, uh, someone who had collected Edward Brzezinski, um, and he was very passionate about him. And, he, and I had been reading about the 1980s art scene, and I thought, wow, I, I, think, I think we should make a project about this. But I thought I was making a play. I didn't know I was, it was going to be a movie. Um, so I was looking for a character to play, actually. And anyway, uh, this collector had me over to his apartment, and it was filled everywhere with Edward Brzezinski paintings. Um, I mean, there's not a surface on his walls or, um, you know, even in the, in the closets and everywhere is Brzezinski artwork. <laughs> and the way he was about Edward, it made me really excited, like, wow, like, you know, who is this guy? How come he didn't get famous? And so we started, um, we started researching him, and that required going out into the community of these 1980s art people uh, who were still showing their art for each other and asking them about Edward Brzezinski and people's jaws would just drop. Like, what? I haven't thought about him in years. They were used to hearing and talking about Keith Haring and Basquiat and people like that. So we just got excited about all that. And then we ran into all this um, archival video uh, that we didn't know existed. And that's when we realized that we had a movie. And it was is a documentary movie, and it will be running once again on Friday, January the twelfth, and in the evening at seven o'clock, and Sunday a matinee at two o'clock p.m. on January the fourteenth at the Nelson Slash Atkins uh, Museum of Art in Kansas City in the Tivoli Theater, the Tivoli in the Nelson Atkins, Jerry. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. I have to get it right sooner or later, don't I? You got it, and but and, it. but that's uh, uh, that's when uh, the movie will be shown. And as they said, as Brian said, uh, he and Heather will be doing a question and answer after after each of the uh, movie showings. Uh, Brian and Heather. Yes, that's right. We'll be there on Friday and on Sunday to say hi and hopefully to uh, you know fill the beans, fill all the beans. <laughs> I, I have to ask Jerry at this point. You made a comment about uh, you, you knew quite a bit about the uh, '80s art scene in New York. Well, I mean, I, why was I that? Did you know up, the? Did you know people? Did you grow? I, up in- I, I mean, I, I have friends in New York. Uh-huh. I mean, 
one of them even has a Brzezinski painting. Oh, really? Um, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, it's of a, his f- lover who died of AIDS. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he even offered to send it to us. Really? Uh, but... Uh, th- that idea was nixed by higher up. So, oh. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, you know, I mean, that's my more. F- I was in my twenties, thir- twenty late twenties, early thirties, during the eighties. That's when I started the Tivoli, and uh, you know, so I knew, I knew of people. I've always cared about art with a capital a or a small a depending um you know and and new york's new york i mean you know so of course i was interested and i'd go to lots in new york and go to i had friends who lived down in alphabet city and everything and it was it was quite a scene I, i didn't you know I didn't do my. I was going to movies, you know, which is a whole different thing. Yeah, well, you do, you know, a a style at the Tivoli. You you have movies oh, yeah, of well, that nature. You yeah, specialize in that. That would yeah, be a better. No, way to say I'm it. I'm you know specialized movies. That's what I am. Yeah, and that's what I've been for forty years or over forty years now. Did the so, Nelson want you to bring? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah, Julian called me and said, you want to do this? And I'm like, eh, I don't know, you know, 40 years. I've already been doing this, but um, he was persistent, and I'm glad I did it because I, I get to show movies. Sure. Because I'm a movie exhibitor. That's, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm, I'm an exhibitor, and I love that part of the business. So I love, you know, meeting people and and also exposing people to movies i mean i i hey i like this movie so come on come on and spend your money and uh, help these people and help me certainly so you know yeah when did you first uh, come into contact with this movie did, uh, did no you... this has just been a few months ago okay. i mean if it hadn't I cannot say enough about the art house convergence people and their group and the convergence which we used to have before COVID. It used to be right before Sundance. And it's an amazing thing because these people were all exhibitors and we all understand each other. And no one else understands what we go through. Certainly. So um, it was wonderful. So people have helped me. Um, like this, I mean, I found this movie, and and then, hallelujah, there's ties to Kansas City. Wow, <laughs> sure, that's that's a dream come true for an exhibitor. Yeah, and it makes it easier to publicize. Uh, right, right. Because I mean, how much do people? It it's hard to know how much people care about '80s New York art scene. Even though it's fascinating, I mean, it's it's absolutely fascinating the whole thing. Um, so this movie was right, uh, what you would be looking for. Yeah, this is exactly what I'd be looking for. I mean, we're showing and tonight we're showing a film called uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which is a French film, uh-huh. which won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and 
it's you know it's probably going to win the best foreign film oscar this year um and i just brought it back because nobody knew it was here Hmm. it played in amc theaters and like well it was gone in a week so i just brought it back just to say and you know we're we're doing very well with it yeah heather seems to be very good at the publicity so you're saying heather was part of uh no no this was she was part of me finding okay make me famous i was talking about anatomy of a fall which heather doesn't have anything to do with (laughs) so um no that's how i found it i mean there was a google group and it it was Hey, I've got this movie, and uh, I said okay. Yeah, and I wrote Heather, and she sent me a link, and that was it. And that's how that's how Brad's movie got got back in Kansas. City. Right, that's right. Well, we appreciate that, and we love playing in museums. And in fact, that uh, one of the greatest compliments we got so far um, was from Anina Nose, who um, discovered or was Basquiat's first gallerist. And she's she's a very spirited lady. She's not easy to impress. But after the movie, she came up and told us, um, "You did it. You made art history fun," <laughs> and and that meant a lot to us uh, because the passion that um, this project really came from was be falling in love with um, uh, with with a time period. Like this is not really. A movie that's made to promote an artist it's it's not a a normal biopic in that way it's really meant for you to experience the art scene of the new york city 1980s through the lens of a striving artist and so you don't know what's going to happen to him all you know is he has this passion to make it and i think that's about all you really need to know about it uh because uh, it it just makes it more fun to watch it but the people who know him they they're very honest about him and that's really sort of the commonality of this group is they expect you to be authentic and that's what they want and that really uh was a a lot about what this generation was about which was never selling out and things like that things that are very foreign to people now like what do you mean by selling out well that's that's what this group was about we're speaking with uh, Brian Vincent, the director, Heather Spore, the producer, and the owner of the Tivoli Theater here in Kansas City, Jerry, Jerry Harrington. And we're talking about the movie Make Me Famous that will be uh, opening here in Kansas City on Friday, January 12th, also playing on Sunday, January the 14th at the Tivoli Theater, which is now part of the Nelson Atkins uh, Museum of Art here in Kansas City, down in the plaza area of Kansas City. Now, the interesting thing I found when I first heard about Ed Brzezinski was uh, the mystery involved. No one seems to know, guys, at this point anyway, maybe you will answer that question in your movie, but no one seems to know what happened to the guy. Uh, How does that all fit into the uh, Brzezinski lore, so to speak? The more that we researched Edward, the more questions came about. And that's why we knew it was a movie and not a play. You know, besides finding the archival, uh, we were like, well, if we investigate this, we're the only ones finding this out. And then we can bring this back into the movie and and that'll make it part of the excitement. But Edward, um, he was sort of a mysterious guy. Uh, There's a 
artist in this movie called Richard Hamilton, and he he's known as the godfather of street art because he sort of invented that medium. And he used to say, people don't, um, artists don't use mystery enough in their toolbox. And and Edward wasn't afraid to uh, to be mysterious, and 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 so I think that makes the movie more fun. Yeah. And this was a time before the internet recorded every everything on your resume. So Edward Brzezinski only had, well, when you Googled him, all there was was this obituary um, in Artnet magazine. And so what we did is we thought, oh, we're actors. Let's act like detectives and, like, get in there and find out what the story is. And, and it was like peeling an onion. And it was like the story that just kept revealing new uh, rabbit hole. Well, she's saying that because when we looked up his obituary and then we checked in with the master death file, he wasn't on it. Huh. So, you know, there the mystery began right there. Wait, wait a minute. There's a guy with an obituary who is not dead. So that that made for a lot of fun uh, investigating. Did you have any trouble rounding up the, uh, you know, friends of his, people he worked with? And uh, did they want to talk about Edward? They did, and they were stunned to remember him. Um, like I said, I think they were tired of hearing, you know, there's famous people in this group, and they're usually asked questions about the famous people. And so the, the group um, along the way, as we got to know the different artists, they would warm up to the idea of, wow, a, a movie about somebody who didn't get famous, how uh, that might be interesting. And, and, so they, they really opened up to us. But it took us a long time to get to know all these artists. You know, artists are not like an actor. An actor, if you say, oh, I'm going to do a project, you know, I'd like to do something with you, they'll show up the next day for breakfast. Um, but artists aren't like that. They, At least that, that's what I found with these artists. They test you. And these were the essential people that were remaining from this uh, group here in, in New York City and um, they're they're uh, they're a tough group to get to know, but once they knew us, then they they really opened up. Yeah, it uh, it kind of I guess shows through their opinions and the the footage you have of him what he was really like. Uh, was he like the way that uh, a lot of people would perceive him to be, or was was he different than that? Well, I think that people were just going to have to come and experience Edward in the movie theater because it wouldn't do me any good to, to tell you what I think he was like. I think you'll you'll meet him on the screen, and uh, and he'll surprise you, um, but not just him, but the whole group of them. Um, I always say it's kind of like, you know, when you're stuck next to somebody at a dinner party, you want them to be kind of fun and interesting, and every single one of these people are like these punk attitudes and these really fun, interesting stories, and with a lot of humor. Uh, they they walk us through the downtown art scene like it's never been seen before, because generally this scene is kind of boiled down to Keith Haring, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Andy Warhol, and there were hundreds of artists down doing art constantly, you know, populating the scene, and and so these are very interesting people, and I guarantee you're going to have a good time at the film. Yeah, it'll be uh, happening you know, in, yeah, a, in another week. 
they all are interesting people, I must say. I mean, they were probably difficult in their day, but they're very interesting people, every one of them. And yeah, they're all sort of a world unto themselves. And um, I think it could be, though, partly that my having a Midwestern um, personality uh, it helps me a lot in, in meeting um, difficult-to-know people. Um, I'm sort of patient, and and artists are all a little crazy. And I I, I somehow um, I don't see. I think it's the Midwest thing that they eventually warm up to me about it. And so we're just absolutely, you know, I, I myself personally am beyond thrilled to be coming back um, to Kansas City, at, especially at the Nelson Atkins. And and uh, and I, I remember that museum when I was a kid going. I mean, it's as big as the Metropolitan. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 and it's so beautiful, so much great art, and um, and it's a Tivoli that has been there for so many years. And so I, I was, uh, I'm from Raytown, uh, in t- Missouri, up until I was 10, and then I moved to Overland Park, Kansas, and graduated from Shawnee Mission West High School. But the thing I remember about um, Kansas uh, is how supportive everybody was in the theater, and and basically with. Uh, you know, encouraging, um, you know, being becoming an actor. And uh, so I'm just so thankful to come home and, and show what we've been up to. Yeah. Do you like directing just as much as you like performing? You're, you're very good at both of them, Brian. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Michael. Um, I, I do like it, and I like it very much. And I really want to be a filmmaker. And that's what Heather and I are uh, doing here is, is making we see it as a film. It's sort of an, it's a documentary, but it's it's kind of a different sort of structure. And we're hoping that we're going to be making um, fictional films in the future. Although the very next thing we're going to be working on is another doc, one more documentary, but this time it'll be about an actor. Uh, so I love directing, and I love um, being a part of making an entire project. I, I also edited the movie, and so it's. There's no feeling like I've ever had when the lights go down and people are about to watch a whole movie that we made. And, um, and it's, it, you know, acting is exciting, too, when you're up on stage. But this is a whole different feeling. I bet so. Yeah. What about Heather? Do you miss uh, dancing on the Broadway stage? That's, that has to be a trip in itself. Oh, gosh, I'd love working on Broadway and it was really fun to do such a, a wonderful family show like Wicked. Um, I even got to be an understudy to Glinda. And so every once in a while I got to ride in the bubble and wear the big fun dress and sing and be the star. Um, but it's interesting because producing leans into a lot of the same skill set that many actors have to utilize for their own careers. And I found that I really enjoyed uh, the producing angle. And Brian really loves to do the creative. And so we make such a great team, both of us. Um, we stay in our lanes most of the time. And we have, uh, we're so proud that we created this uh, film about art and creativity that we hope inspires called Make Me Famous. 
old. Good. It's almost time for our half-hour break. As I always say to people, you know, time just flies when you're having fun. And I'm having fun today speaking with Brian Vincent, Heather Spore, and Jerry Harrington. And we're going to take a brief break. And then in a few minutes, we will return with a little bit more from each of them here on the Arts Magazine Show. You are listening to the Arts Magazine radio program right here on KKFI. 90.1 FM. Hi, I'm Russ Simmons with Freeze Frame, KKFI's weekly look at the newest cinematic fair in theaters and streaming. Well, Happy New Year. Time to look back at the best of the cinematic crop for 2023. At 10, Past Lives, a sweet and melancholy drama about childhood friends who awkwardly reconnect as adults. Number 9, Poor Things. Emma Stone is rock solid in the twisted, nearly pornographic feminist take on the Frankenstein story. At number eight, Dumb Money. The most neglected movie of the year is a sharp comedy about the GameStop short sale that shook Wall Street. At number seven, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The best animated film of the year is a sequel to the mind-bending tale of Spidey's multiverse adventures. At number six, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, Martin Scorsese's tale about the murder and exploitation of Oklahoma's Osage people is overlong and self-indulgent, but it's cinematically impressive. Number five, The Zone of Interest. This chilling German drama is about the banality of evil, focusing on the mundane family life of the Nazi commandant of Auschwitz. At number four, American Fiction. This whip-smart comedy deals with race relations, family conflicts, and the absurdities of the publishing world. At number three, The Holdovers. Alexander Payne's comic drama about lonely people stuck together over the holidays is a genuinely touching experience. Number two, Anatomy of a Fall. This French courtroom drama was the big winner at the Cannes Film Festival and features a stunning performance by Sandra Hewler. And at number one, the best film of the year, Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan's epic biopic about the father of the atomic bomb works on every cinematic level. Oppenheimer is the must-see film of 2023. Well, that's it for this edition of Freeze Frame. Until next time, I'm Russ Simmons with Fox 4 and KKFI-FM. Freeze Frame! This is Maria Vasquez Boyd, producer and host of Artspeak Radio. Starting Wednesday, January 24th, Artspeak Radio will air from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. We'll continue our mission to bring you the best in the art world. Tune in to Artspeak Radio, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., only on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Did you miss your favorite show on KKFI this week? Check out our two-week archive. You can find it by searching online with the keywords KKFI Archive or direct your browser to archive.kkfi.org. And welcome back to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I'm Michael Hogue, your host, but boy, are we having fun today. We're talking about a new film that's going to be opening at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, the Tivoli Theater part of the Nelson Atkins. It is called Make Me Famous, the story of uh, Edward Brzezinski. And it's kind of a mystery. We're not sure how this is all going to end. And doesn't that make for the most interesting things when th something like that happens? We still have with us Brian Vincent, the director of the movie. Heather Spore, the producer of the movie. They're a married couple living in New York City. 
And as Brian explained, they became enamored with the 1980s New York art scene. And that was kind of the inspiration for Brian. He was, I guess he said he was looking for perhaps a play first and then suddenly realized that this would be a documentary movie. Am I saying your words as well as I could be, Brian? I think you're saying it perfect. And this particular group, uh, when they came to New York, uh, they sort of just made their own shows happen. Uh, some of them uh, would uh, perform for each other and things like that. Well, that's sort of what we did with this movie. We just went ahead and made it. And, and this is a real independent film my wife and I produced. And, um, and it's been um, made in the same spirit as the 1980s scene uh, that I got uh, inspired by. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that uh, a little bit later on here. Uh, boy. We've talked a little bit about where you've all been. Uh, where are you going from here? You know, uh, any more bookings? Probably, probably here, of course. Probably more in uh, the New York area. Where all else do you know at this point? Well, if there are any theater owners out there, you just give me a call. Uh, <laughs> but we have, we've been playing in nine countries and thirty-seven cities, and like Ryan said, we have done this on our own without a distributor this is a real independent film and so when you come get a ticket at the tivoli to see make me famous you're really supporting independent film but you um it's it, the movie is playing tonight for instance in pittsburgh uh and and brooklyn and it'll play in brooklyn uh on monday and it's and so it's been and then it'll play in stanford connecticut it's there are a lot of bookings ahead for us, actually, um, and that's just in January. So, but we're extremely excited to come home to Kansas City to play there. It's uh, it was a whole new world for you, really. Uh, you were you both been talent in the past. How how difficult was it for you to become the director and producer of the film after having been talent for so many years for both of you? I think that the skills that we have as uh, performers have surprisingly been um, useful for uh, everything that we've been doing. I mean, a director is communicates with the subjects, with the people that are in it, and that's really what an actor does. They, they, they just communicate with each other. And it, it's not, it wasn't hard for us to fall in love with this creative scene that was happening in New York. So with a documentary, it takes many years to create a documentary. It took us about 10 it, 10 years all told, all the way to the end, to get this all the way finished to the finish line. But, like, to to live with these subjects for this long, you have to really like them. And it, we find them very inspiring and funny, and you get to see a lot of art when you come see Make Me Famous, um, and all from the comfort of your seat. And it's, it's quite a time capsule of art from the 1980s era. We have all the major players in it and all the minor players, Warhol, Basquiat, Keith Haring, David Warnerovich, Richard Hamilton. We have artwork from a lot of artists, actually about 150 artists. Yeah, and, and so, but that those kind of, um, having those kind of things did mean developing other skills, as you said. Like, you know, we had to learn how um, to make the movie and put it all together and, uh, and, and make it as good as it could be, and, and but we, we did it because 
this is how things are now. Like you can you can really learn things on YouTube if you don't know how to do it. I remember what a big splash it was when uh, when Brian's movie Black Dog opened at at the AMC Theater near the Blue Ridge Mall of Independence. Or if any of you are familiar with that area, uh, that theater's not there anymore. The AMC has a much bigger place, <laughs> a little bit further east. But uh, that was really a big deal, Brian. You worked with some uh, some big names in that movie. You know. Randy Travis, and, and you wrote a song. I, I find this so interesting. You wrote a song with Randy Travis. It was called My Greatest Fear. I did, indeed. And My Greatest Fear, if you Google that right now, Randy Travis, My Greatest Fear, uh, you'll see, uh, you can hear the song. It's been played well over a million times. I've, I've been heard, I've heard people that some people have been married to it even, you know, or wow. whatever. It's really... If you read all the comments and, and things, uh, people say, this is such a beautiful song. And, and it, it really, Randy, though, you have to keep in mind, Randy Travis, if he sang the phone book, it would sound good. So <laughs> when, Randy, when Randy and I, uh, we were hanging out a lot together when we did Black Dog. Um, Patrick Swayze was often having to do his stunt work and stuff. And so I was hanging out with Randy Travis, and he'd be strumming on his guitar, and and, it, and at one time he said, hey, you want to write a song together? And I, I, was like, I don't know, Randy. I guess I, I don't really know how to, how to even play a guitar. And he goes, that doesn't matter. So we, he said, I want you to write something for Black Dog. And um, so we started coming up with stuff and had a good time. And the producers just happened to come into his trailer that day. And Randy said, well, listen to this. Brian and I wrote this. And right there on the spot they said, we're recording that. And that's, and that's how My Greatest Fear came about. Uh, but Randy's a gentleman. He's the nicest guy in the world. And he said, Brian, you can have 50 percent of that song. And 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 and, you know, I may I think I made more money from that song than I, I did from <laughs> acting. And that's just Randy for you. But, yeah, Meatloaf was in the movie. He's also, he's also really fun, of course, to be around. And Patrick Swayze. I'm, I got to see Patrick Swayze dancing by himself in a um in a uh, bar one time um, when, when the music started going and he jumped on the dance floor and everybody just, uh, you, could hear, you could hear everybody's breath just go, <gasps> and, and Patrick was out there dancing uh, alone and he, it was just so cool. And people, everybody cheered afterwards. Patrick, just a, just a great person. Yeah. Brian also got to work with Ben Gazzara and Rita Moreno, and she's still yeah. working. <laughs> she's still working, Brian. Rita's still working. <laughs> she's she's ninety something. I think she said uh, she was ninety one. Yeah, yeah. She's won every kind of award you can win. Actually, oh. she's one of the performers yeah. uh, that's won every kind of award. I uh, think that's out there. But anyway, she. Rita and Ben, um, they were wonderful to work with. I played Ben Gazzara as a young man, and they uh, they wished to see themselves when they were younger. And Alana Ubach is now a pretty uh, well-known actress as well. She she played uh, opposite me. And um, Ben Gazzara and uh, Rita would uh, entertain me with the different stories. Uh, I remember Rita talking about Marlon Brando and dating him. Oh, wow. And I remember Ben Gazzara talking about... Um, auditioning with James Dean and I just uh, ate it up. I mean, uh, this is one of the great Ben Gazzara and Rita, those are two of the best actors in the world in the world. Of and they're course. Great. Of course. And and I wanted we only have a couple of minutes left. Sorry, Heather, but what got you from Texas to New York? I'd love to know that. Oh, a dream of 
being on Broadway, that's what that's what brought me to New York. I came, I didn't know a single soul in New York, and I just started auditioning. And um, and a funny story, I met Brian. We lived on the same street in New York on 49th Street, and that is how we met and fell in love. Just old school, like Southern people. <laughs> just like a Broadway show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, the movie Make Me Famous will be uh, presented here in Kansas City on Friday, January the 12th at 7 o'clock, and Sunday, January 14th at 2 o'clock p.m. a matinee at the Tivoli at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. It's on the east side, and I have the website here, nelson-atkins.org slash Tivoli slash or uh, there's probably a number you can call, which I don't have. Do neither one of you have uh, the number for the museum or the Tivoli handy there? Uh, you can no, get. No, you can just go right there to the Tivoli and get tickets that same day. Okay, all right. Thanks for talking with both of you. We're going to talk in just a few minutes with uh, Claudia Summer, and she's going to tell us about that burgeoning uh, '80s New York scene. I've, I've read. I read it. Two different sources. I read one said it was a, an explosive time, and the other said it was a merry romp. I don't know. We'll find out from her which she thinks it was more like. Thanks so much, both of you, for being with us. Oh, thank you very much for having us on the program. All right. And on the line right now is uh, Claudia Summers. She is a writer. She is a vocalist. She is a musician. She is in the movie. We've been talking about Make Me Famous. And she knew uh, Edward Brzezinski. In fact, I was told he actually did, and you posed for a portrait of his. Would it be fair to say you were a muse of uh, Edward Brzezinski? Well, I was a muse for at least that portrait. <laughs> well, that's that's what I meant, Claude. That counts. That counts. <laughs> it certainly does. Were you amused for other artists that uh, the people would know? Um, Robert Maplethorpe. Oh wow! Of uh, of 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 cross dipped in urine fame. Uh, mm, that's, that's what another, I remember him from. I think that's another artist. I can't remember his oh. name now. Okay. But Robert, yeah, but Robert did a lot of incredibly transgressive photographs. Did you enjoy posing more for photographs or for uh, works of art of a, of a drawing painting way? Well, it, it was really interesting to sit for Edward. It took like hours and hours and hours and days and days and days as he uh, wow. scrubbed out the paint and would start all over again. And uh, so that was a really interesting experience. But I was actually photographed by a lot of uh, photographers at that time. Um, Lynn Davis, who was a, 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 a fellow photographer of, uh, who worked in the kind of classical mode like Robert Maplethorpe did. Uh, I was married to the photographer, Marcus Leatherdale, and he photographed me numerous times over the years. Um, Ken, Ken Schlesch also photographed me. He did a really uh, kind of seminal book on 80s downtown New York City, which is considered a classic. Um, William Coupon, I know there was James Stark out in San Francisco, Jim Decoy, who did several books that was in San Francisco also about the, the 70s punk scene, photographed me too. Now, what was he like? One of my guests today inferred that uh, 
Edward Brzezinski could be a little bit of a temperamental uh, person. <laughs> to, well, just think about it. Think about it for a moment and answer <laughs> however you wish. Um, Edward was a very complicated character. Um, he uh, had a drinking problem, which could make him really, you never quite knew where he was coming from. When he was sober, he was incredibly charming um, and delightful to talk and hang with, but he was kind of drunk. If you saw him coming, you wanted to run the other way. Uh, <laughs> well, well, that's unfortunate, but how did he discover you and want to paint you? Um, I think the connection was through San Francisco. He had gone to the San Francisco Art Institute, and while I didn't go to the Art Institute, I had a lot of friends who did. I lived out in San Francisco for a couple of years in the late and the mid-70s. And when I came to New York, um, he had not been in New York that much longer than, you know, than I had. And so we met through mutual friends and he asked me, if, you know, he asked me if, uh, if I would like to be painted by him. And you, of course, said yes. Why not? Yes, I said yes. Even though, as of course. as uh, Brian said earlier, he said he uh, wasn't as well known then as he has become well known now. Yeah, but you have to recognize that all of the artists from that kind of like time period, except for someone like Robert Maplethorpe, they really weren't known yet. Uh, and what was so great, it was such a, a, a warm community of, of artists at that time, and they really kind of cross-pollinated and helped one another and, and encouraged one another. So it was like an absolute pleasure and joy to sit for him. I found two quotes that in a little, in some ways were a bit contradictory, so I'll give both of them to you. Some said it was an explosive time in the 80s, and they used the word explosive, and the other said it was a merry romp during the 1980s. It was, uh, merry romp. Uh, it, was it was both. Both? It was okay. a really, yeah, it was a really complicated time. Um, you know, New York City was kind of like it was bankrupt. Um, so you literally felt like the streets were yours at that time and that you could, you know, do whatever you wanted. And there was such an explosion of, uh, of people wanting to express, you know, their sexuality and gender in different ways. And that small piece of, you know, land of the Lower East Side of New York City in, you know, the late 70s and 80s, it was fertile ground for you to plant yourself in and to, you know, bloom the way you wanted to. I'll bet so. Now, it says here that you were in a band that was signed and managed, I guess, by Andy Warhol. Oh, my God. That was, like, so insane when that happened. Um, you know, Andy Warhol is part of why I moved to New York City in the first place, because I was so taken with, you know, the culture and the art that he had produced. Um, and so to come to New York and end up being in a band that he managed was beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah, I imagine so. How did that come about? Did he see you perform somewhere and decide that uh, he wanted to be a part of that? Uh, no, I had started, um, I had taught myself analog synthesizers at the time, and I had recently purchased one. And I was uh, 
very good friends with Glenn O'Brien, who had been uh, the original editor of Interview Magazine. And he was very good friends with Walter Stedding, because the band I played in was Walter Stedding and the Dragon People. And Glenn suggested that Walter, you know, take me on as a band member. And um, I'll never forget, like, my first gig, like a, a day or two before the gig, they handed me a cassette and they were like, listen to it and figure out what you want to put in, t- you know, what you want to add to it. And that was it. There was no rehearsal, nothing. And um, we played at Hurrah's like a couple of nights later and, you know, Andy was there and it, it was it was it was quite amazing. Although I think everybody ran to the door. We were really obnoxious. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I doubt that. Uh, you're a writer. What, do you write about the, uh, the 80s New York art scene? Uh, do you cover other areas? Uh, um, I've, covered, I've worked on short stories, which have been published in a couple of small literary journals. I also did the, um, the, the preface of the introductory to Marcus to the book Marcus Leatherdale's uh, Out of the Shadows, which were photographs of New York City, you know, people that made up that whole scene of the downtown music, art, and film scene at that time from the, I think it's like from 79 to the early 90s. And I wrote the introduction introduction to that. Yeah, where where can your work be seen if someone wants to uh, to check you out and read some of your stuff? Um, I do actually some small postings on Instagram. Right uh-huh. now I'm working on a memoir, and occasionally I'll put little snatches of it up there on Instagram. Now, you are in the movie, Make Me Famous. The, I would imagine you're giving your remembrances about uh, uh, Edward. Uh, uh, and I will tell you right now, uh, we don't know what happened to Edward. Uh, people will have to see the movie to find out, but uh, uh, what's what are your remembrances of that? Of Edward? Or? Sure. And, and the art scene and, and Edward in particular. Um, well, he went out every night to either clubs or art openings or, or friends' homes. And I, I remember Edward was always handing out. He, had, he, had, he lived in a, um, an apartment on 3rd Street, which is right across from the men's shelter. It was like a really decrepit apartment building. And he opened up uh, his own little gallery in his space. And so I remember Edward would run around to all these different, you know, clubs or other parties or different, you know, openings, always handing out flyers for people to come to his, uh, his art show in his, you know, the gallery he had in his apartment which is really kind of quintessential New York. I mean, people were having galleries in their uh, apartments or in um, uh, bathrooms even. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, you make it sound very eclectic. (laughs) It was. It was very eclectic. So, well, hey, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I, you know, getting someone who was actually living during that time and experiencing all of that time, it certainly is talked a lot about now. So I guess uh, the scene today is not quite as uh, exciting, I guess, as the scene was then. 
Well, I'm older. I don't really hang on the scene like that anymore. I see. But I have to say that I think that that period of time, we were really pushing the envelope. And, you know, I think that, you know, some of the, you know, some of the insights and, and the pushing on the envelope that we did, I feel a lot of it's become integrated in today's, into the fabric of today's society, sure. which is, uh, you know, it makes me proud to have been part of that scene. Sure. And I'll end with your thoughts. Uh, I was told that the, the portrait that Brzezinski drew and painted of you uh, hung for a time in the New York Metropolitan Gallery of Art. And did you see it? And what were your feelings about that? That kind of makes you famous in your own right. Um, it was actually at MoMA, Museum of Modern Art here okay. in New York. MoMA, okay. And it, it was <laughs> it was kind of a surreal experience. Oh, that's you know, a... as someone who spent their, you know, uh, you know, my mother used to take me, my first introduction to, you know, museums. So she used to take me to the Nelson, I think it was called the Nelson Art Gallery at the time. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's where the movie <laughs> is going to be seen. Yeah. Right. And that was my introduction to art. And, you know, I've always gone, to, you know, to museums ever since she first introduced me to them. And so to see uh, a painting of me hanging in MoMA was incredibly surreal. Did people look at the painting and look at you and look back? And did, did anyone <laughs> yeah. say anything? Um, well, um, when I, I attended the opening, and, and most people knew me there, so, yeah. It was, uh, um, it, it's a, the, the portrait of me is like, I, I, I Edward took some license, so <laughs> the portrait's very interesting of me, I'll just say that, sure. but I love it, I love it. Sure, Th hey, thanks for being part of this, and uh, it was great getting to talk to you. Thank you very much. Claudia uh, Summers, writer, yes. vocalist and musician, and she'll be in the movie that you'll be seeing, Make Me Famous, which opens next Friday, January the 12th at 7 o'clock p.m. and Sunday, January 14th at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Tivoli that is within the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. Thank you, Claudia, so much for talking Thank to you. Me. Thank you, Michael. The Jazz Insider will be coming up next. In true KKFI tradition, we'll have jazz from 1 to 3. We'll have the blues from 3 to 6 right here on your community radio station, 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City's community radio. So until next, we meet, ladies and gentlemen, that crossing the road. I'm Michael Hogue. We'll see you next time.